All right, before we get started, I want to let you know about a new book that is out. Some of you know about this, Systematic Theology by Dr. McCune. He was, uh, or he is, probably the most influential person in my life when it comes to doctrine. He was uh, my professor in Systematic Theology. And so, some of you have gotten the first volume, and this volume is on the doctrines of man, sin, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, we're going to put a sign-up sign sheet if you'd like to purchase one of those. This is the lowest price you'll be able to get it for. It's $8. Normally, it's $15. So, um, if you can sign up by next week, then we'll get you a copy. But one thing I want you to keep in mind with regard to this book is this is not your bathtub reading. Okay, This is some deep... Stuff at times, and so, and so, um, so what I want you to keep in mind is that this is more of a reference book. Okay, so don't feel bad if if uh, you haven't read through the first one by now. Um, this is there is some pretty deep stuff in here, but what I like to do with this type of book, this is a theology book, and uh, is is to look up either a topic that I'm unfamiliar with or I need to be grounded deeper in. Or you can also go back to the back. They have a a verse reference uh, index, a scripture reference index. Yeah, got it. Yes, sir. Um, so you can just look up a verse that maybe you're thinking about, and you you maybe you don't have a, a full understanding of it. I'll give you an example. This is um, this is with regard to the incarnation. He says, the incarnation is a foundational doctrine of true Christianity. Still, it rests on even more fundamental and primitive doctrine, the triunity of God. Because without the Trinity, there could be no incarnation. And without the incarnation, there could be no salvation from sin. These conclusions are drawn from the following syllogism. A perfect and sinless human substitute had to pay the penalty for human sin. God could not send His Son, nor the Son, the Spirit, if there was no triunity in the Godhood, Godhead. And God had to be sent to become man if there was to be salvation. So he breaks down the purpose of the Incarnation. It's very helpful because a lot of times we don't think what is the value. We learn a lot of these doctrines in church and, and growing up perhaps. But, but I would encourage you... Um, to, to use a volume like this in order to deepen your understanding and your love for the Scriptures. But don't uh, put a, an improper guilt trip on yourself that I have to get through this by a certain period of time. Um, if you want to go through one doctrine at a time, it's not a bad idea, but I would suggest that you use it primarily as a reference volume. All right, so we're going to have that sign-up sheet out at this uh, table here in the foyer. And uh, you can get yourself, you can order yourself a copy. Now, on your table, you should have a copy of today's lesson, which is the fear of physical harm. We have been working through this six-week series on what is the fear of man. In the first week, we looked at uh, a formal definition and how the fear of man shows up in life. And last week, we started to talk about a solution by looking at the fear of God because we said that the the more that we fear man, the less we fear of God or conversely, the more that we fear God, the less that we fear man. So our remedy, which is uh, what we'll take all of week six to look at 
is to fear God more. But over these next three weeks, what I want to do is I want to look at the three primary ways in which the fear of man shows up in life. Okay? This week we're going to talk about the fear of physical harm. Next week we'll talk about the fear of personal rejection. And then two weeks from now we'll talk about the fear of shameful exposure. Alright, so we'll look at those three aspects of fear and talk about uh, in, the, in, in three weeks from now how we can deal with that. But before we do, let me ask you to bow with me in prayer ask God's help as we look through this topic this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word and how it instructs us. And we recognize that there are all sorts of self-help books and psychological books out there on the market that uh, even written by Christian authors in many cases that, that seek to, to get to the heart of this problem. And many times they're pulled from uh, psychobabble, the psychobabble of this world and from uh, looking farther within inside of us as almost a self-introspection. And we recognize that the source of all of our answers are in Your Word. You say in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 that, um, that we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness. And we recognize that the Scriptures are the primary and the central way in which we determine what you think about matters in life. And we pray that you'd help us not to turn to anything else in this world but your Word um, and use the, uh, the, the resources in this world only as a, a check mark in a way to what we understand about your Word. And we pray that you would help meet with us now as we look into this topic and help us to be honest with ourselves uh, with regard to where we are in this topic and that we would uh, respond rightly to it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> since Cain killed his brother Abel in Genesis chapter 3, men and women have had reason to fear other people. They've had reason to, to fear uh, physical harm, even to the point of death. And throughout the pages of Scripture, we have examples of people who feared other people, and we would say in many ways, rightfully so, because there has been this precedent that has been sent ever, set ever since the beginning uh, of, of uh, sin, that is, with Cain and Abel. And so, in many ways, this type of fear is legitimate. But I want to be careful when I speak about uh, the phys fear of physical harm because I'm not referring to an appropriate concern for safety and security. Okay? It's not wrong to, to think, about, think ahead and what possibly could happen. I mentioned last week that we should not be cavalier in our attitude, meaning we're just going to go out and what happens, happens. We don't have to fear anything. Okay? We're just going to be completely foolish because God's going to protect us. Um, obviously, there should be some sense of healthy fear. And we'll talk about what, how exactly that plays itself out. But, but we have to be careful okay, that we don't want to just throw out the baby with the bathwater type idea where we just say, okay, well, we're not supposed to fear physical harm, so we're just going to go the complete other extreme. The way that this shows up in our lives is is that we tend to 
to exalt or, or put on a pedestal the fear of man over the fear of God. So we're more concerned about what people will do to us rather than what God thinks about us. And so we have to be careful. Some of the ways that it might show up is maybe not walking through certain neighborhoods alone after dark. Or maybe uh, maybe uh, how we act on the job or how we protect ourselves even within this local assembly. How we protect our families. Some of those things can be healthy ways to look at uh, fearing people. But we have to remember that ultimately, look, look at that verse at the top of your page there, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. This is the, kind of our key verse for this six-week class. And that is, Christ says, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, you pick up any free press from the last week and it becomes very clear that we live in a dangerous world. We live in a dangerous city, a dangerous state, a dangerous country. We live in a dangerous society. And what much of what makes news in our day has to do with all of these um, fearful type things. The, the media loves to exploit that type of thing, don't they? Because they know that people will watch that sort of thing and... and and the easy thing for us is to, to buy into that type of fear and become, in a way, isolationist, which can be a danger in some cases. So, now, when it comes to fear of physical harm, sometimes we may feel that, that we are more susceptible to it because of something that's happened to us. And that may very well be. But we'll we'll talk about how we should we should respond to these things because we have to look at all of these potential for potentials for danger in light of the gospel. Okay, so Jesus Himself says here that we should not fear those who kill the body. In other words, He's recognizing that people can hurt us. People can hurt us. They can, they can go as far as killing us and who else would know better than Jesus Christ? Because did He not experience that Himself? He, 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 was, uh, he had His life taken from Him. But He tells us that we need to have ourselves reoriented as far as how we look at the way that uh, other people and, and whether or not we should be spending time on fearing other people because God in this verse tells he says that God should be far more important than anything that, that anyone can do to us. So we should not fear those types of things. Now, even though we, we, we look at that verse and maybe many of us know that by heart, for some reason we still struggle, don't we? We still struggle. In fact, there may be some, some fears that you've experienced this week and you were quoting that verse to yourself. And yet, we still struggle. We still worry. We still are afraid at times. So why? Why, why does this happen? And that's the, the first point here. Jesus commands us not to fear. Why do we? Well, we struggle in this area, first of all, because we were not created to harm or be harmed. Okay. So number one, we were not created to harm or be harmed. Think about it with regard to Adam and Eve. They were created 
in a perfect fellowship with God and each other. Not they were they they never had God never uh, created them to to harm each other. However, once sin came into the world, then there was this natural response that all of us had, and that is fear of other people. So first of all, we were not created that way. Secondly, the reason that we struggle with this a lot of times is because our personal history shapes our experience. Okay? So we've maybe I don't know what your situation is, but maybe you've grown up in a physically or verbally abusive house. Maybe you've worked for an abusive boss. Maybe you've had some experience in your life where someone has treated you the wrong way physically. Okay? Because of that, we we have this fear. And so that's why we struggle. First of all, we were not created that way. We were not created to be harmed, and so we, we have this fear. And secondly, because of our history. And so perhaps some of you experience this temptation more acutely than others. You know, for, for those of us who grew up in a good home and and experienced great love from our parents and from our family members, we don't know what you're going through. Okay? We don't know what it's like to have been physically or verbally abused. But God does. And God is the one whom we should fear. And He tells us that we should not fear those who can kill our bodies. Okay? Fear him who will Jesus tells us that, that we should fear him who will kill both our or destroy both our bodies and soul in hell. So while we want to respond with trust and fear, we don't want to act as if all those things haven't happened to us. We'll just ignore them. Okay? And my point here, I hope you understand, is not to bring up all these experiences in your life and, and so that you have to, to to almost in a way re-experience them even now. That's not my point. My point is to help us to be honest with ourselves so that we can respond rightly. So how do we fear people in this way? How do we fear people physically harming us? <clears throat> there are a variety of ways that we struggle and and some of us may struggle with this fear more readily than others based on our past experiences, our current relationships, our personalities. But none of these are excuses. God says that we must trust Him over and above uh, fearing others. So some of these categories may be fresh in your mind or experience, but our purpose is not to relive them, but to give us a proper framework so that we can think through these things and so that we can minister to others. Okay, because that is one of the purposes of you as a believer, so that you can learn these things for yourself, but also so that you can help others as they go through the same types of things. So the first one there, physical abuse in the family. This is perhaps the most difficult and painful of all. This can take place between spouses or between parents and children. Um, physical harm in this context can cause some of the most difficult struggles and post-abuse type harm. And so so I think the reason that is is because it's in the context of what should be, what was designed to be, a loving relationship. And so we, we naturally want to trust our parents. We naturally want to trust our siblings. And when they physically harm us, 
it causes great pain, doesn't it? Or it could be it could be a spouse or whomever, but but the point is is that because we've had such a high level of trust in them, and they've turned on us in some way and 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 come down on us with some physical harm, we now find it difficult to trust anybody else. And not only that, who else do we find it difficult to trust? God, right? Because God designed that that the Father would be the person who would represent or illustrate in a way what He is like. Because all fathers, well, we should say in general, fathers are good to their kids, aren't they? And so we would expect that when we look at our Father, that's how God will be. And so when our fathers are are evil to us, when our fathers cause us physical harm and verbal abuse, we expect well, that maybe that's how God is to us as well. And so it, it reflects on on our relationship to God. And so what we need to do is think about those relationships rightly. We need to think about them um, in in a uh, biblical-type way. So we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. second one is exploitation. You know, the neighborhood bully is, uh, is, is cause for fear of physical harm. But the neighborhood bully doesn't necessarily go away when we get older, does he? I mean, he grows up too, doesn't he? And a lot of times he doesn't change his ways. He's still causing trouble, maybe not physically as he once did, but those type of people tend to be violent all throughout life. And so we should not dismiss this uh, this type of exploitation um, just because we're adults, Okay. That's just something that happens with children. No, because those types of people uh, are are in our lives even now. Number three, persecution or physical suffering for the gospel is another common fear. I don't know if you've thought about it, but are you afraid to go to certain parts of the world or, let's say, even closer to home, certain parts of Detroit and give the gospel because of fear of what may happen to you? Maybe you're led to, to, to maybe spend some time on a short-term mission trip and, and you're fearful of that because you don't know what types of dangers are out there. And so this is a struggle that's, that's very, um, very evident both in our lives and in other people's lives around the country and the world. And in connection to the Gospel, our fear is much more related to our fear of, of rejection or fear of what they might do to us. And so we have to eliminate that one as well. Terrorism is perhaps a newer one that um, within the last century or so. Um, I know for me, when I'm on a crowded plane, I, I always have that thought in the back of my mind, what if? Right? And, and perhaps you have that thought when you're in a, a major or a large building in, in the Detroit area or something like that. You may be thinking, what if? So that can can be something that paralyzes us from from doing what is right. And then racism. This fear manifests manifests itself both in fear of physical harm and, as we'll talk about next week, fear of rejection. You know, are there certain people that you fear physical harm coming from them just solely because of the color of their skin? Do you feel safer or less safe 
around a person who is of the same color than you than you do of a person of a different color. Maybe you're unwilling to move into a certain neighborhood because of that. I mean, that that type of thing shows up because we've been so fed that sort of mentality from our society that we are are fearful of those people and we, we become, like we talked about last Sunday morning, almost awkward when it comes to, the, to being around those type of people. So we, we can all struggle in different ways. Depends on our personal makeup. Depends on our history. Depends on uh, uh, our current relationships. And what we need to recognize is that everybody's fears are not like our own, meaning we can't fully comprehend everybody's fears. But what we do know is that all of the answers to our problem for the fear of physical harms can fear of physical harm can all be found in one place. Okay? It's in the Scriptures. Now, I think it would be good at this time to ask for questions or comments. Any, uh, anything that kind of struck you or maybe you want to talk about in more depth? Alright. How does the fear of physical harm shape our lives? What are some of the ways that our lives are shaped by this type of fear of man? All right, and then we're going to get to some scriptural examples. Um, well, if fear is based on past experience, then we can have this idea that we are uh, a, a perpetual victim of our circumstances. Okay? So, number one, um, a sense of victimization. A sense of victimization. That is, I'm only this way because this is how I've been raised, or this is how people have made me to be, as if. We have to act, act sinfully. Okay? The Scriptures say that you do not have to act that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, thir- verse 13 says, There is no temptation given you except as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will, with every temptation, provide for you a way out, a way of escape, so that you will be able to stand up under it. Okay? So what is that telling us? That's telling us that that we don't have to be a victim of our circumstances. There is a possibility that we can we can stand up under that temptation. Number two, self-pity is another response to our past experiences that may cause us to fear. It would be much easier for us to trust the Lord if I hadn't experienced this. See, you don't have to experience that, so you can trust the Lord, but I can't. I can never change because it's just the way I am. I'm really a, a worse sinner than I than I uh, than I could ever imagine. Now, self pity can be an attractive response. You know, no one understands what what I'm going through, but it's simply another manifestation of the sin of pride, isn't it? It's I'm at the center of my life when. Obviously, that's not the way that God designed us to be. He designed us to be, that He be at the center of our lives. And so self-pity is a heart that is self-focused and seeks to trust self instead of God. All right, number three, bitterness. Bitterness is a deeper sense of some of these other things. As we struggle with these responses and fail to repent of them, then they will grow into a heart of bitterness toward other people and, as I was saying earlier, could even show up 
by our bitterness toward God. Because God, You put me in this situation. And so we can, we can become bitter. And if you've experienced that type of, of sin in your heart, you know that it's hard to turn from that sort of thing. It, 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 it takes up all of your thoughts. And it seems like everything around you is affected by, by your feeling of bitterness. And so it kind of can play into these other two that we've already talked to, this, talked about, the self-pity and the victimization. So when people do something to us, oh well, I guess that's the way it has to be. Or whenever somebody says something that's trying to encourage us, by, you know, you really need to work on this area in your life, then you feel like you're being a victim. No, I don't have to work on that because I can't. You don't understand what I'm going through. And so bitterness can affect every area of our life. Well, we talked about a little bit how the fear of man shows up in life last week in the Scriptures. We gave several examples. But this week we're going to talk specifically about the fear of physical harm. How did that show up in the Scriptures? All right, And I'm going to go through these quickly because um, we've got some, uh, a few ladies in here and myself that are going to be involved in a baptism this morning, so we have to be done here in ten minutes. So, um, first of all, Abraham, and we talked about him last week. He was fearful of, of what? Remember? Yeah, he was getting feared of getting killed by, was it a Ahimelech or um, uh, the Pharaoh at the time? I can't remember. But there's two situations where both times he said, Sarah, tell them that you're my sister. That way they don't kill me. Okay. So otherwise, since you're so beautiful, they'll want to take you for themselves and they'll kill me. See, the fear of physical harm. How about the Israelites when they were approaching Canaan? Remember what Moses told them to do? Go across. Okay, Go into the land of Canaan. It sends the twelve spies. Go in and see, what, see what's going on over there. Ten spies come back and they say, we're not doing this. They've got giants in the land. They're all ready for battle. There's no way. We're not going to do this. We're going to get killed out here. See, the fear of physical harm. Obviously, we know Joshua and, and Caleb were two men who, who responded rightly in that situation and feared God more than man. What about Gideon? Anybody know how Gideon would have feared physical harm? Now, obviously, we look at Gideon and he turns out to be a, a good uh, model for us because in the end, he does end up trusting God. But God has to do some things first, doesn't He? Because... Yeah. Right. Right. The Asherah pole that was inside the Israelite camp. Of all people, they should have known not to be setting up a, a false idol in their own camp. And so he has to go. What time does he go? Does he go out in broad daylight and everybody's awake? No, he goes at nighttime, right? Because he's a little bit fear. Well, I know you said, God, that everything's going to be okay, but I'll just go at night just to be safe. And he tears it down, so we, we can we can commend him for that. But but the point is, is that God had to do a work in him. Peter, how about Peter? This is a pretty uh, well known story. What happens with Peter? He he denies Christ three times. He said, Christ, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to follow you all the way to the end. And uh, as, as we had our reading this this past week in Luke, um, we saw that that. Jesus actually looked at Peter right when the, the rooster crowed the second time. Can you imagine that? 
that that sound would be inevitably and and forever burned into his mind the sound of the rooster crowing and you could imagine that from that day on he would be thinking how foolish was i to turn uh turn uh towards my my desires and and fear people more than god um but obviously uh Peter's kind of a transitional type character because now we're moving to people who did not give in to the fear of physical harm. And Peter really is that one as well, isn't he? What type of examples do we have from Peter's life that show us that he feared God more than physical harm? Okay, maybe after this event. Remember? Right. He was one of the, the key foundational leaders, apostles, in, in the early church. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3... Let's turn there and we'll read this for uh, ourselves so we see see what kind of transformation took place in Peter's life. If you're like me, you can, you can uh, sympathize with Peter in many ways with regard to how he, he was gung-ho for Christ at times and then fearful of other people's rejection of him and potentially their their physical harm of him. First Peter chapter three. This is a striking statement from an older, more mature spiritually Peter. First Peter three thirteen. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, do not be troubled but sanctified Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So Peter was an example both of a person who would fear other people for physical harm, but then here we see that he's now teaching the church that, listen, I've learned this for myself, that it is more important to fear God and to do what He's called us to do rather than to fear Man, all right, and then obviously we have some some positive examples here as well. People who did not give in to the fear of physical harm, and that is Paul. I think the best example is in Acts chapter 14, verse 16. Let's go ahead and read that because that's to me is one of the most powerful examples of a person who cared very little about his own personal um, safety. <laughs> he cared much more about getting the gospel to people. Acts chapter 14 and verse 16. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself. He did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is Paul preaching. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Okay, So he's, he's practically dead. They, they thought he was, in fact. Look at verse 20. But while the disciples stood around him, probably weeping, Oh, Paul, I can't believe you died already. Look, look what he does. He gets up and enters the city. And the next day, he went away with Barnabas to Der- Derby, And they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples. 
They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and so on. So this man is, is, is beaten to the point of death, and he's left for dead. And we would think, Paul, the better part of wisdom would be for you to fear these people and be a little bit afraid of what they might do to you, especially if they see you a second time. I mean, you can just picture Paul standing up there with all these bruises all over his head and body. And yet, he doesn't care. Now, there is a fine line, as I said, between being cavalier and and doing what is right. In this case, Paul is saying, I would rather obey God rather than man. They're telling me not to preach, but I'm not going to listen to them. Alright? Then the faithful servants here in Hebrews chapter 11. This is pretty amazing as well. We'll read that here on our sheet. It says, Others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Now, that doesn't sound like a very exciting call for us to follow Christ. But these people recognized that there was nothing more important than fearing God and obeying Him. All right? And one of the things that we said, the, the definition that we gave last week for the fear of God, is that we, we follow God in submission, which is expressed in our obedience to Him. That's what these people are doing. Even if you're going to kill my body, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not going to give in. And then obviously Christ was not uh, fearful of man more than He was God. He, he submitted Himself to God. We'll have to talk about that when we get to the response in three weeks as far as what kind of remedy there is to fearing God. Now, let me just quickly go through these last two points. And that is the cultural response is to, to, um, to be a victim, just to recognize that, you know, it's... That's just the way it's going to be and, and that's how people are to me. Or the other response is the stiff, stiff upper lip type of perspective. Like, I'm just going to endure it. I'm just going to, no matter what they do. And, and there's a sense of which we, we ought to do that in the, in the spiritual life. But, but the scriptural response is what I want to highlight. And that is that we must focus on the gospel. Many of us have been affected in many ways. And we begin by recognizing, or we began by recognizing that the worst physical harm that could possibly come upon us has already been experienced. Okay? The worst thing that could possibly happen to you has already taken place by Jesus Christ when he was, when he was rejected, when he was beaten, when he was mocked, and when he was crucified. And so the more we look at the gospel and what Christ went through, I mean, of all people, He did not deserve it. Okay, I'm not suggesting that you do, but I, but what I'm saying is He was completely sinless. And of all people, He should have been accepted, not rejected. And so the more we look at the gospel, the more we recognize that that our our types of of problems are very limited in scope compared to what what happened to Christ. The gospel also helps bring us into membership of a new family. Okay, now we have people within this body, 
hopefully it, uh, for those of you who are members and for those who are planning to join today, that is one of the benefits of it. That now you can, you can stand alongside of other people who are also experiencing perhaps even physical harm as a result of the gospel or just as a result of the depravity of people. And we can stand up with them and recognize that we are in a battle together and that we have the same master, the same goal, and even the same proper response. And so we can help build each other up in that way, help encourage each other. All right. Any questions or comments on what we've talked about today? All right. Let me have a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. And for those of you who are not involved in the baptism, you have a few extra minutes to grab something to eat or some coffee before the service begins. Lord, thank You for this time. Thank You for Jesus Christ. Thank You for the many believers of the past who are our examples. Certainly this list was not an exhaustive list. There are hundreds more who have stood up for the faith and have been willing to suffer persecution uh, for the sake of the Gospel. I pray that uh, You would allow us to be able to do the same thing. Maybe You will not have us to be physically beaten as a result of our preaching the Gospel, but, but certainly there are all sorts of other types of rejection that we experience. We experience uh, personal rejection and, and we experience the loss of relationships. So we pray that You give us wisdom as we interact with the world outside and as we encourage each other inside the church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.